0: Hey everybody! Uh, good news—it's me, Steve Simonson, your old buddy, and we're doing another episode here. And today, I've got a great bit of news for you. I've got a special guest star. It's Chelsea Cohen. Everybody, say hi, Chelsea.
1: Hi, everybody.
0: Well, there you go. So, uh, Chelsea and I—we're going to talk a little bit about um, you know, kind of her origin story, how she got started, what she's doing today. And for those uh, very careful watchers of the Awesomers Podcast, uh, you may have. Recall Chelsea's prior appearance where we're talking about copywriting and other uh, cool tactics and strategies. That was more in the marketing framework. This is going to be, I think, much more focused on operations. What do you think?
1: Yes, for sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah, So uh, operations, you know, marketing, uh, there's kind of an old phrase that says nothing's impossible for the man who doesn't have to do it himself. Right. That's kind of marketing. It's like, just give me a budget and I'll make it come true operations, it's like really hard to execute. Uh, Do you think that's kind of a true story based on your experience? Yes,
1: Yes. it's kind of the, especially when it's the afterthought, it tends to be, you know, this thing of like, you know, always catching up or cleaning up after marketing. So, you know, syncing those things up becomes very important.
0: Yeah, I I commonly refer, uh, especially like fulfillment teams or service teams, where marketing or sales made some big promise, and then they have to, they have to cash that check. So, uh, but we're kind of getting ahead of it. Let me let me just back, uh, back it up a notch just to refresh everybody. Uh, Give us a little bit about your background. Where did you come from? How'd you get, uh, you know, uh, let's talk about any schooling that you did. I don't recall, but I remember it was interesting. So refresh my memory.
1: Yeah, schooling is interesting because I don't talk about that a lot. My mom had a school. So from second grade on to to graduation of high school, uh, I was kind of study at your own pace type of school. So I actually graduated right before I turned 16. And then of course went into film school. Uh, Don't use any of that right now. As you do, sure, (laughs) as you (laughs) do, Sure, sure. Yeah, and then eventually found Amazon in, in 2014, but had no history of selling online before that.
0: So the the funny thing is, I remember meeting people in uh, 2015 at an amazing event. I don't know if I met you there or subsequent to that, Mm -hmm. but not long after. Um, And, you know, people even back in 2015, they're like, is it too late? Did we wait too long? Is it is, you know, the glory days of 2013, 2014 are over. And here we are in 2015, 2016 gosh, you know, woe is me. I had a lot of that. That was never you guys, uh, of course. But do you you hear those same echoes happening now, right? If you go to Prosper, which I know you were just there, you hear people, Uh, do they ask that question to you?
1: I feel like they ask that question every year. And and it's not, it's just that it's different. It's not that it's, I mean, I would say, you know, it is, it is harder in some ways. Uh, You have to be smarter, And there's definitely a a huge wave and a huge rush of get-rich-quick thinking. And now it's, oh, this is an actual serious business. Some people call it passive income. I don't think that you could ever call Amazon a passive income unless you actually built a huge team and you had a lot of people behind that.
0: Oh, Lord. And let me just tell you, it don't get passive at that level. It gets uh, (laughs) active management, even for people like me that have managers. I'm still doing stuff. I, I'm I'm literally doing interviews later today uh, for final candidates for new executives and so forth. So it doesn't matter what you do. It's certainly not passive. I agree with you. So yeah. as you got into Amazon uh, now, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but were you doing this business with your husband?
1: Uh, yes. Yep. That's right.
0: So the Amazon business, you guys started out and it was probably a pretty daunting feeling, wasn't it?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, it was probably more daunting to think that I would have to work for someone else the rest of my life, but, uh, yeah, we stepped in and I guess I, I had a lot of faith in what we had discovered. We actually, we bought a course and we bought a course after the, they had, you know, these periods of, of open versus closed, and the window had closed. And so we ended up buying a course that someone was about to refund. We were allowed to buy that course. And so I basically PayPal someone. I never met $3,000, didn't really understand private label. All I knew was that I had a friend selling on Amazon, making 60,000 a month. So got into the course and then found out what private label was. And I was like, yes, this is this is very, very smart. And so it was kind of from there, took off. But of course, you know, never run a business before uh, in any real way. And once the money started coming in, and then of course you stock out and you have to figure out basically the entire process of running a business. is not just uh, put up a, a product and then collect the money.
0: Yeah, that's that's certainly true. Um, I, I think that is... So when you said, uh, you know, you're like the prospect may have been daunting, but the idea of working for somebody else was way worse. That is spoken yeah. like a true entrepreneur. And <laughs> you can always tell a true entrepreneur because the, the other code word for entrepreneur is unemployable, right? We, we are <laughs> yes. absolutely unemployable. Uh-huh. Not only do we not want to work for anybody else they wouldn't want us working for them we would never want to do what they say we would always come up with some newer faster cooler idea and they would be like just shut up and type in the data and we'd be like this doesn't (laughs) Does that feel right to you
1: yep exactly
0: yeah so now did you ever have kind of a proper job as you came out of school
1: um, I did. I feel like I, I mean, i worked with my mom uh, at her school. So I did some teaching of uh, kindergarten through second grade and then third through fifth grade. And that was really fun. And then the only other, I had a job working in accounting and, um, I was, I'm not accountant, don't have that experience, that, uh, training, but bookkeeping, essentially I was an account manager manage the certain clients their their money and that was extremely stressful especially when you have clients who aren't very good with money and don't like to take responsibility so (laughs) I had that kind of numbers background I like spreadsheets I like all that um but did not like working for someone else
0: yeah that stress of having to be responsible for other people's decisions so as you got into your business um and I remember I think I'm I probably met you and your husband Ari at, uh, in Hawaii, as I recall, uh, Uh we were at a, at a mastermind event put on there by the old amazing. Mm -hmm. And, and it was quite a nice event. I thought, uh, I really enjoyed it. And so we had a good time there. Um, did, did you end up, do you still have that business or did you sell that business? What, what happened to that?
1: Yes. Yeah. We still have, we still have the business. I have a, my copywriting agency and Um, I guess I was (laughs) born with those, so I decided to do, you know.
0: Perfect. All right, just do another thing. Yeah. So (laughs) as as that evolved, so you had Mm -hmm. your product business, then you open up the copywriting agency, Mm
1: -hmm. and that
0: apparently is still ongoing. Yes. Yes.
1: Yep. Yep. Also,
0: entrepreneur uh, hashtag. We always work. We never sleep. Yeah. (laughs) That's true. Yeah. That is uh, well. When you do something you love, it's not hard to find the energy. Is that Uh you find that to be your case?
1: Yes, especially in, uh, I really like the collaborative processes as well. So getting into being involved in the community helps, helps with that, you know, scratch that itch for me.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, so the, the next thing I want to ask you is just about the idea of uh, so stocked. Where did you come up with this sure. idea? So you, you're already doing two things. This is not like yeah. you don't have things to do. Uh, uh-huh. And although I can imagine, probably have heard some of the story before, I'd love to recount, you know, uh, mm-hmm. where did the beginnings of that idea come from?
1: Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, first and foremost came from the concept of death by paper cuts. I'm not sure if you've heard that phrase, this whole idea of all these little tiny things that eat away your profit margin.
0: <laughs> yeah. We, so, in the old days, we call it death by a thousand cuts. But yeah, it's the yes, same kind of yeah, idea.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So that was uh, looking at, you know, the the year end profit and loss and going, I feel like we should have made more money and I feel like we should have kept more money how can I get a handle on this? And which pieces of this can I control? I can't control what my competitors do or what Amazon decides to do with their fee structure, but I can control not running out of stock. And I think I'd run out of stock um, a total of five or six weeks in that last year and looking at what that cost. And then all of the air shipments that we had done because we almost ran out of stock. And so not having a handle on inventory dove into we got to get this done. I got to figure this out. And then it became a full-time job buried in spreadsheets. So that <laughs> that's was the kind death of by a thousand
0: spreadsheets. Yeah. That I've had yeah. that story too, where it's yeah. it's like you're drowning in spreadsheets. You're neck deep in spreadsheets.
1: Mm-hmm. I
0: often would forget what spreadsheet to look at when I would use spreadsheets. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 That's, uh, <laughs> so basically what you're saying, and this is not uncommon in the entrepreneurial world, you experience a pain point. And you're like, Mm -hmm. I don't want this pain anymore. Mm -hmm. And did you just say, oh, I should just do it myself? Or did you actually look for existing solutions?
1: I I looked for solutions a lot. I looked for, I tried different uh, software and started asking friends in different masterminds, you know, what are you guys using? There's gotta be something out here. Things that I've tried don't work the way that I want them to work. And invariably the answer was we've tried everything. Uh, Nothing works right. We're back to spreadsheets. And to me, uh, you know, call me strange, but if a spreadsheet can do it, a software shouldn't be able to do it. So that was kind of the first aha moment of there's something here that there's there's a, a call that has yet to be answered in this.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's, uh, first of all, uh, salient wisdom to go, well, we're just talking about numbers here. What if we just systematize those numbers, right? Instead of... Mm-hmm. Um, kind of uh, you know the assembly of spreadsheets, so it's it's always a garbage in garbage out, right? I've seen people do a bunch of spreadsheets. It's like, yeah, but you, you didn't actually factor in when you' are out of stock. So yes. now you're ending up ordering too much or too little based on these kind of yes. other conditions that you didn't factor into it. so you mm-hmm. you must have saw that gap in the in the spreadsheet wisdom and did, how how did you then take on the challenge of you know making a piece of software? Everybody's like, oh, yeah, the software business is the best, but it's actually hard yeah. work, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's hard work. It's, you know, it's grueling. It's, you have a break even and you think that, you know, oh great, we're coming close to that break even and then it's a new break even and a new break even because you have to keep developing and and that's been, that's been the challenge but uh, first and foremost I had no history or experience in software. And so I decided, you know, I'm just going to meet somebody and we'll just make a software. And it, you know, sounded all magical and rainbows. And funny enough, that's exactly what happened. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's you.
0: You're one lucky individual, let me tell you. (laughs) So, yeah. So, who did you meet?
1: I went. So, um, you probably remember from back in the day, a company called Thomason.com. Sure. Yeah. So, I went to an event, a small event in Sugarland, Texas. Co-founder of, of Thomason spoke. We ended up having lunch together. He kept saying he was so bored. He needed a new SaaS project. And I was here going, I have this idea. Somehow convinced him to, to go with it. And uh, yeah, and so we've been partners for four years now. That's
0: uh, It's a really great example of taking the concept and mm-hmm. then kind of overcoming the, the gap in the system, right? So I always tell people, and, and any awesomeers listening here, you guys have heard me rail on about strengths-based leadership and, and lead with strengths and focus on strengths. Stop being well-rounded individuals and start being well-rounded companies, right? If you yeah. are excellent at marketing, you have this vision, and then you find somebody to team up with who can handle the code and kind of all of the technical pieces, that's a well-rounded team versus you trying to go learn programming, right? I think a lot of entrepreneurs, they're like, well, if I don't know how to do it, how can I, how can I lead it? And uh, yeah. the answer is you find somebody who can do it and, and you put them on the team.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, 100%. And, and my other partner in who was the partner for uh, Dan's partner, I basically walked into a complete system because he's brilliant in terms of the marketing, SEO, building all of that. And so I just get to have ideas, get them to develop them and then talk to the community about them. So it's it's ideal. We're all very good at the lanes that we kind of drive in.
0: Gotcha. So there's three partners and you guys have split it up. By the way, this is a lesson to those osmers out there. Uh, I was just in the UK uh, uh, last week and people are like, well, what, what's your opinion about having partnerships? And I'm like, I, you know, I have no opinion. I've had amazing partnerships that have gone on to, to last decades and be extraordinarily rewarding. And I've had partnerships that are a total nightmare and you want to burn the forest down around you, right? Yeah. So, but that has nothing to do with the word partnerships. It has to do everything with the people. And one of the keys, in my opinion, is to set up those clear boundaries, right? Each of you have your responsibilities. Is that what you guys chose to do?
1: Yes. And it, yeah, it came very naturally just because we all recognized, recognized our strengths. And so that was kind of how it came about. But um, 100%, you can't, Try to do everything, and you can't try to each wear part of of a hat. Where one person should be doing one specific thing, and one person should be doing another specific thing, and you know where those lines are drawn. Otherwise, I feel like there's going to be conflict.
0: Without a doubt. In fact, I, I generally would tell people uh, in partnership settings or even management settings, it's like if you have a if you have a really important opinion or reason why you think something should be done differently, voice it. But yeah. in the, the old Bezos, Amazon way, disagree and commit, right? Whoever's responsible for that particular um, segment of the business, right? That mm-hmm. function, whether it's marketing or operations or, you know, IT, let them bear the responsibility, voice your opinion. And then even if you disagree, just commit and let's move on. Mm-hmm. Have you guys ever yeah. had any disagreements? Because this is, uh, yeah. this is what I need to know. Yeah, it's like I'm People uh-huh. Magazine now.
1: um in terms of disagreement i mean we've gotten along pretty well i would say the biggest disagreement actually yes the biggest disagreement it was actually uh six months after launching we launched very slowly we had 25 people come in and they gave us a lot of feedback and uh we had this customized forecast but it was still very algorithmic based and there were pieces that I, I talked to people, I, I un- onboarded everyone for the first year and a half. We still do uh, one-on-one onboarding with our team, but for the first year and a half, I onboarded everyone. We got really great feedback that way. Uh, but I had to explain things, you know, why, why are the numbers like this? And I had to be able to tell them why. And so I, would go, I went back to my developer um, and I said, I need you to tell me how it works so I can tell them. And we went back and forth and I kept getting no answer, you know, no answer kind of delaying, trying to even give me an answer. And I finally got him so aggravated that he said, I can't tell you Chelsea, it's too complicated. And at that point I was like, nope, rip it up. We got to get rid of this. So that was like the biggest argument was the forecast that we had built in the first six months actually had to be ripped out and rebuilt from scratch. And it was one of those things where if we had launched it to more than 25 people, we probably would have been dead in the water to begin with, but because we launched it slow and got that feedback, we basically reached out and said, send me your spreadsheets. What, you know, your spreadsheets are working. They just are labor intensive. Please send me your spreadsheets. What works, what doesn't work. And we built it from the ground up, but that was probably the biggest up was just this realization that we were headed in a, 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 the wrong direction and it was gonna end bad if we didn't change something quickly.
0: Yeah, well, I think that's a really good lesson for everybody out there. First of all, it's like uh, entrepreneurs hate black boxes, right? So mm-hmm. the the idea that we have we're putting something into the black box and we don't know how it comes out the other side is mm-hmm. not something that settles people down. It only increases anxiety. So I'm glad you yeah. glad you guys sorted that out and that you stuck to your guts, uh, which was no, we have to be able to understand it. In fact, it should make sense, right? It, it yeah. shouldn't be so. Oh. Complicated or so difficult to to wrap your head around that that you can't make sense out of it mm-hmm. uh, doesn't mean everybody will understand it to the level you do, but right. um, at least you do and and your team does so. And by the way, anybody in the software world, the first time you hear the word rewrite, oh, it's mm-hmm. a terrible time. It's a terrible day. I I hate the word rewrite. Mm-hmm. And so my teams have a bunch of different ways of saying rewrite. Uh they never use that term anymore but they, they it Ray always
1: factoring. happens. <laughs> Refactoring yeah. like, that's my yeah. the, the worst word in the business. <laughs> yeah, the, it's
0: just all, all of these things that that are inevitable. So you when you say you launched uh, you, mm-hmm. first of all you said you started around 4 years ago. So tell me about the first 6 months. What happened during that time?
1: Uh I say the first 18 months we were building the product. We thought it was going to be 6 months. It kept dragging out and dragging out. It was very complex and finally it was um, probably not 18 months, but 14, 15 months until we actually went and launched. So we were pouring money in, pouring money in, and we we're all bootstrapped 100%. So my partners are, and I are putting all this money in. And finally we launched. And the first six months of the actual launch, was getting the 25 people in and getting that feedback to find out that we needed to blow the whole thing up.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Good times. You know, nothing feels as good as throwing money down a wood chipper and then going, oh, by the way, all that work we did, it's not going to, it doesn't work. Yeah, we got to redo it. By the way, I've had that so many times. Uh, Since Misery Loves Company, one of these times I'll be happy to tell you all the different (laughs) ways we've screwed that up. But this is the this is actually how you learn right this is the iteration yeah. process that is any any business but particularly software where continuous improvement a software never is finished, which you already alluded to earlier yeah. mm-hmm. which is also that's almost as devastating as rewrite to me right It's like okay so we're, now we're done now now we just we can mm-hmm. take all that money and start paying back all the investment they're like, no no we got more to do. There's always more to do. Do you, have you yeah. had that realization? Oh
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah.
0: 100%. So uh, as you, as you got started, so now you're, you're in your launch, you figure out this isn't going to work. How, how deep into you that? Is that around two years you're in?
1: Yeah, we were, uh, but I'd say about a year and a half, a little over a year and a half, maybe 20, 21 months.
0: Yeah. So coming up just shy of two years, then you yeah. then you feel like, OK, we've we've got this thing refactored uh, mm-hmm. to a position where the, you like it. You understand that the people like it. Is that what happened?
1: Yeah. So, yeah, what happened was we had uh, we announced, you know, we've got this new new change. And then uh, once we had done made that change, suddenly we saw more people coming into the software and uh, we had various different masterminds start talking about us. Uh, I remember we have a Facebook group and, you know, how did you hear about us? And I kept seeing MDS, MDS. And I was like, what is, what is MDS? And finally asked someone, oh, Million Dollar Sellers Group. Oh, there's this buzz about you and we hope you are what we think you are. And then, um, you know, we've got eight people and they're gonna test you out and we're gonna see what you are. And then just a flood of them started coming in and we realized that we had really hit on something that was workable, which was, you can understand the numbers, Um, you can see everything that goes into those formulas. We would show the calculations. And then the secret sauce is generally, it's not just the past data, it's the future planning. And a lot of these tools were missing future planning. So being able to put your marketing plans uh, into your inventory plans really was a game changer because if you can't do that, then the data is actually false.
0: Yeah, well, this is what I think, um, let's just say less experienced sellers don't understand Mm -hmm. that, uh, inventory sell-through volume is something that you actually are supposed to forecast and plan ahead, right? We Everybody uses the term forecast or, you know, inventory plan to think, well, a computer is just going to tell me what's going to happen in the future, like somehow you invented a crystal ball. So right. I, I should ask the question, did you invent a crystal ball?
1: No, we didn't. And, and, and that's one of the things that we say. People say, well, how accurate is your forecast? And I say, you know, it's as accurate as the data that you put into it. Obviously we have past data and we have the ability to uh, clean up that data so that you get true velocity. We talk about daily adjusted velocity, adjusted for stockouts and sales spikes and stockouts the proper way, because a lot of times, you know, if you, when you're, when you stock out, it's not just, you know, you have a, a great sales day and then you have zero and then you have great sales day. You have that, 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 uh, valley and then you have maybe amazon finds you know one unit a lot of these systems were counting that one sale during a stock out as a full sales day and if you're looking at 30-day average and you've got you know five of those days your your numbers are wrong so that was kind of first and foremost get the data correct but then it's as accurate as you put your planning into it. What are you, do you have any lightning deals? Do you have any campaigns that you're running and that type of thing?
0: Well, this is really where kind of marketing and operations uh, tie up, you know, for those who who are keeping score at home, if you're planning on participating, for example, in Prime Day, you should probably think about that on the inventory side. And you actually have to make guesses as to what that might be.
1: Mm -hmm. And you
0: have to put that into your planning. And it sounds like your tool has that kind of future. So you've got all the past that which gives you some data probably to, to key off of. And then wow. you're you're mapping in how how far in the future do you tend to, to look at it?
1: We look at a year into the future.
0: Yeah. So that's I, I think that's very good. And and also, you know, for all the entrepreneurs who just wish that, you know, they could just talk to their computer and go, how much inventory to order? Uh, that's wishful thinking, you know, what, maybe when Elon comes out with the humanoid bots and AI and this and that, but we're not there yet. There is no crystal ball. You have to understand past, as you talked about using the term adjusted, what, what anomalies existed, whether it's waiting for containers to unload at a port that you expected to be there. And that caused a, you know, some sort of delay in the system that was unanticipated or, Mm -hmm future potential delays right now, Shanghai is, you know, locked up tighter and, you know, a Mm -hmm. can of sardines over there. Um, Mm -hmm. And you can't anticipate all that, but you, you must kind of document it and try to see what the impact is. Uh, is, Do you agree with that general comment?
1: Yes. Yeah. The, the stock outside of things, but also um, overstock in, in the sense of sometimes things happen that you don't expect Uh, you get your product gets mentioned on a morning news show during the holiday season, you have this huge sales spike. And then you look at uh, what did I do last year? And you have this $40,000, you know, sale on one of your products. If you factor that in, you might over order for the next year. So it, it works kind of both ways.
0: For sure it does. Um, I, I remember a time where we had uh, a cornerhardware.com and this was actually in the just past uh, 9-11 uh, back in 2001. And we had American flags and they mentioned it on CNN, mm-hmm. on the live news. Right. Mm-hmm. And they're like, hey, this is the only place we can find American flags. And in four minutes, we were no longer had American flags. Well, but if we plan our inventory around that singular event and, and there's a many <laughs> others that I could give you a, a weird examples like that then you're actually you're going to be in an overstock situation mm-hmm. and you end up burning cash for no no real repeatable reason and th- this right. is why that planning uh, how many how many entrepreneurs do you think before they started using your software planned ahead uh, uh, you know in this uh, i would say more sophisticated way
1: yeah not not to the level that they need to and that's something that i talk about i call the concept inventory minded marketing um, the things that we're trying to kind of drive in as messages is not only the marketing team needs to give the inventory team a plan, but the inventory team should actually give data to the marketing team, and that's that. Those are things that when I talk to sellers, when I talk to PPC agencies, you know, have you ever stocked your client out, or have you ever stocked out, or have you ever bought too much inventory and couldn't move it? All of those things are, you know, resounding yes, and it's because there's there's no coordination. So stockout risk reports should go from inventory to the marketing team. So they know to back off of some of those products that are about to stock out. You make more money when you're not selling products. You know, you can kind of slow down maybe the the ads on less profitable advertising, uh, maybe avoid that stock out. And then you have liquidation. What products do you need to liquidate? What products are slow sellers that you actually need to drive harder? And then what, products are overstocked. And the best is when you have a product that's on the slow sellers list and the overstock because you can see that you have all that inventory to actually drive those sales into a more profitable range. And so those are the four reports that we say inventory should be sending to marketing. And then that goes into a more robust marketing plan and then gets sent back to inventory.
0: Yeah, the nothing. uh, So we have a phrase we call, let's turn that trash into cash, right? So once you've got an item that is, essentially, uh, you know, a dead ace and walking, Uh, you better Mm -hmm. think about how to just, uh, my opinion is there's a certain point where you've passed its uh, viability, and then Mm -hmm. turning that trash into cash, even if you lose money on it, that's my, my personal opinion. and, And really, you know, we execute this routinely, the faster you can move that trash out of the system, the better off you are, um, yeah. it, it takes focus. It takes lots of energy to manage slow moving crappy SKUs. Do you mm-hmm. guys do any sort of like turn and earn ratios or or how do you help them analyze the difference between ASINs?
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it, that we call it the liquidation uh, inventory. That liquidation point is different for everybody. But one of the dashboards that we have is when you figure out what that liquidation point is for you, let's say anything under five sales a day is liquidation. Uh, you have a report that will show you all of those products that are set for liquidation. You can see how much inventory you have of each of those, and then do whatever you can to to move that inventory. So the marketing team needs to come up with, you know, whether it's coupon sales, whether it's uh, deciding to move it through through you know a Groupon or something like that. But the best thing to do, especially back when people were really suffering in terms of their restock limits, was to liquidate it through Amazon because that can contribute to your restock limits and can help you to increase your inventory performance index score. So, uh, you know, the concept of the trash into cash concept, this idea of taking what is a liability and turning it into an asset by either increasing your restock limits, your IPI score, um, or, or recovering some of that cash and even gaining ranking. If you have slow sellers and you want to get them to be more profitable and you have excess inventory, using that inventory, even at maybe a loss or less of a profit to gain ranking, to make it more viable before it becomes a liquidation product.
0: Yeah. So that, that would be kind of like uh, almost like a relaunch, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, do you have general wisdom since you come from not just the 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 stocking side of the equation operations you also come from the marketing you know is it possible for people to relaunch an item uh, these days and and to to get some slow mover into a faster mover
1: I mean it it does depend it's definitely a lot harder there's uh <laughs> I think Casey Goss referred to it as the death spiral uh, sometimes Amazon gets you into a position where the they start to I guess expedite the die out of this product. So it depends on whether that has been initiated or not. But the, you know, first and foremost is kind of just basics. Where are you, you know, are you ranking in the the proper, you know, are you ranking correctly? And if you're not, if you have a specific keyword that is a bit less competitive that you can get up to the top of page one, you can at least try. And that would be the first thing is target a specific keyword, try to move it up the ranking. Um, And you know, obviously this is assuming that your conversions are uh, are good, uh, really kind of doing that basic assessment of where, where are you in terms of the ranking and what keywords do you want to target and then use that excess inventory to push that.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree. And you know, there, there are certain algorithmic um, currents that, that may push against you in the, the, the relaunch concept. But the, the fact is, if you got a bunch of stuff, you're going to have to get rid of it one way or the other. You've used the word liquidation a few times and Amazon now has this, these different programs uh, around this. Have you um, either firsthand experience or experience with your customers, uh, people using the Amazon kind of not disposal, but the liquidation option?
1: Yeah. I mean, um, we've personally used it. It's, you know, it's not a big, I mean, it's convenient. There There are other ways of moving some of that inventory, um, new services coming out, but if you can liquidate it on your own, I think that you are in a better condition because you're going to pay a fee to move that inventory, and then they're going to pay back, uh, you know, pennies on the dollar once it sells. So it's kind of it's not exactly a wash, but it's close to a wash. So if you can move that inventory, recover some of that cash by uh, liquidating it, liquidating it yourself, you'll probably. You know, make more money, and yeah, that's uh, for
0: sure. I agree with you entirely. Uh, I I think people are reticent. In fact, I think they get this in their mind. I would love to have you check my math on this. They get this idea that says, Well, all I need to do is get the amount I paid for the product back, and and then I feel comfortable. But this is like uh, buying a stock that goes down and then waiting for it to just get back to break even before you sell, right? This is a it may sound emotionally sound, you know, reasonable, but mm-hmm. it's terrible logic in my opinion. Sometimes you yeah. got to cut your loss. Am I right or wrong yeah. here?
1: Yeah. When you do the math, um, first of all, every single month that goes by, it's costing you more and more because you're doing the monthly storage fees. So the profit is decreasing every time. It's not staying stagnant. Uh, that's first and foremost. And the second piece of that is how, how confident are you then in turning that money back into cash. So if you can recover some of that cash sooner, you can then spin that into a more successful product and not looking at the uh, the opportunity cost, the lost, the lost opportunity cost, I think it's very short-sighted. So it's really, can you turn, you know, every dollar that you have, how many more dollars can you make with that dollar if you were to get it back faster?
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree. You know, I, I would definitely say that we get, you know, well, first of all, uh, let's not kid ourselves. Uh, inventory is the largest singular expense that we we pay on our our, our businesses. Uh, do you, yeah. am I I right about that? Yeah. So yeah. So right off the bat, we we not only have an emotional investment, we have a financial investment that is hard to walk away from. But yeah. sometimes, if you've made an error for whatever reason, that product is not selling. You got to find a way to hit the eject button as fast as you can, yeah. and remove remove it not just from the inventory and the costs that are associated there, which I think you wisely point out, but mm-hmm. your mind, your mind space, right? Uh-huh. All of the things having to deal with problems take you away from dealing with the, the new, cooler, better products. Yeah.
1: Yes. Yeah. 100%. And that's, that's one of my goals eventually in terms of where we're going is helping to allow for those numbers to be played out. You know, we're looking at cash flow projections, profit projections. Uh, building those into the tool to be able to show people, you know, if you can quantify, you know, dollars into more dollars, if I say, okay, every dollar I can make $3 um, then you can start to take the emotion out of it. When the number, when you can actually look at the numbers. So if we can get to the point where we're able to run those numbers uh, in, I call it cash flow modeling or, or profit modeling. If you can look at those numbers, you know, it's hard to deny that. And I think that helps to take the emotion away because it actually becomes more of a gut punch to keep that than to, to get rid of it.
0: Well, I think that's really smart. And I, I have uh, implored um, entrepreneurs and osmers for many, many years, basically to say, these are not your children. If you have an ASIN that sucks, murder that thing immediately and yeah. move on with your life, right? And even mm-hmm. if you have to take a loss, the faster you do it, the better off Mm -hmm. you'll be. And by the way, I don't like, that was a hard lesson for me to learn too, you know, to Mm -hmm. to be able to just start watching stuff sell below cost. But once I understood, oh, I've got to get this out of the warehouses. I've got to get this out of the system. Every second that anybody in the organization spends on this particular skew Mm -hmm. is is a wasted investment at this point. And I I hope people pay attention to that. Let's ask you this, uh, Chelsea, what Mm -hmm. other... Things would you give uh, advice to, to sellers out there? You know, you've seen a lot. um, Do you see, you know, some sort of common mistake they, they make that you may be able to help them with?
1: Yeah. um, One of the big reasons, because people say, you know, I get here a lot. Oh, I've stocked out. And I always like to ask, well, why, what was the scenario behind stocking out? And the majority of time it's them putting all their eggs in one basket. I put everything on a boat and the boat didn't check in on time. I you know gave Amazon, you know a full truckload and they didn't check it in. It's just sitting there somewhere. And the problem lies in that you gave everything to somebody. Don't put all your eggs in one basket, you know, don't give someone all your own stuff and creating more flexibility in the logistics process and across your supply chain is extremely important. If you've got Container full. Well, you should have ordered a container plus a couple of months and have your supplier hold that for you just in case you need to airship something over and you don't take on those extra costs, but you have them as a backup. Uh, the term just in case inventory has become a lot more popular because we it's very the supply chain is very unpredictable so having those little you know just in case inventory at your supplier uh extra inventory at your 3pl and then having a way to fulfill your inventory if amazon doesn't check your stuff in which is fbm or you know fulfillment by merchant
0: yep well i think that's uh obviously very good uh, advice you know everybody uh listen um I want you guys to understand something. This is my own particular opinion. We'll have Chelsea way here in a minute, but everybody just thinks that, you know, at some point in the near future, we're going to just kind of go back to the old ways and it's just going to get easier and it's going to get better. But I'm telling you, globalization is, is in its last waning moments, right? There, there's a a reckoning coming for all of us who took for granted that like, Oh, I sent a photo and I point, click, sent some money and magic showed up in a box. Uh, Actually, I never saw it. It just went directly to Amazon. It's hands off. Like that's gone, right? You're going to have to get your hands dirty. You're going to have to become a supply chain expert. Know every touch point in the system. See if you can re-engineer it in some way that makes it better for you, whether that's Mm -hmm. you near shoring or reshoring as they, they call it, or at least... Coming up with alternative inventory strategies, like Chelsea pointed out, why not have reserve inventory back at the factory, or if you really do it well, you you know you can have some of that backup stock here in a three PL or your own warehouse or what have you. So, what what do you think about the uh, globalization? Is this is it going to calm down? Is it going to get better, or uh, what do you see happening?
1: Um, yeah, I for sure see that it's. I mean, we have thought that it was a tempor- temporary situation, and people have to really come to grips that it's not. They are. Profit margins have shrunk because of the cost of containers. Profit margins have shrunk because a lot of people who went direct to Amazon are no longer able to do that. And so there was this idea that it was just grin and bear it and we'll just get through this one year and then it was two years and now it's okay, let's get through, you know, things are easing up a little bit with restock limits, but uh, it's not, I don't think it's gonna be going back to the way that it was before. And I think people are starting to realize that they do have to understand their whole business. Um, and diving into some of the ways that across the supply chain people are being uh, unprofitable, simply but from for things as easy as that they're not um, they're not actually capitalizing on the entire, for example, uh, volume usage of their pallets. You know, and we've seen that where we built a, a new little tool called a master carton calculator, and it's we've seen people who are only using fifty percent of their pallet because their cartons are not sized correctly because we all relied on our suppliers to size our cartons and the cartons, the d- dimensions aren't right. So they don't fit right. And so we built this little tool based on the fact that I started seeing that in my own business. I was like, wait a minute, the only way to figure out how to really do this is to look at your unit dimensions and the pallet dimensions and actually work backwards to be able to reduce the total number of cartons, the total number of pallets. Because every step along the way, the 3PL is charging us, you know, pallet labeling fees, pallet handling fees, you know, palletizations, pallet storage, all of those fees. So if you can get more into less space, you end up saving more money. And that's just one of the pieces I feel like there's you know the tip of the iceberg in terms of how much money people are leaving on the table.
0: Oh, it's a great example. Uh, you know, the idea of volumization is something that doesn't come natural to especially new sellers, right? Where it's like, hey, I just learned I could you know, put a sticker on this thing or have somebody engrave my logo into it. And now I'm, I'm a brand. So I felt pretty good. The, the truth is suppliers use whatever the cheapest box is that they can get their hands on, right? right. They, they don't think about the same constraints that we have, um, whether it's related to Amazon's pallet sizes or uh, the, the you know, air freight shipment sizes and, and other various constraints that may exist. And so starting with, well, this would be the optimal situation for me, they'll get the, the box. And by the way, they'll probably complain and go, well, these boxes are more expensive. And you go, how much more expensive? It would be like, you know, four RMB extra. It's like, all right, oh. I'll give you the 40 cents a box. Okay. Um, oh, yeah. These, like some of those charges could come to, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of dollars over the course of the shipment. And it's mm-hmm. literally... You know, tens of cents for them to change a box. Uh, so yeah. I think it's really, really smart. What other things do you have on the horizon as you think about uh, So Stocked
1: future? Yeah, um, in terms of So Stocked, I mean, we're doing a lot of integrations. So Shopify is coming. We'll be uh, looking at moving forward with Walmart, ShipStation to integrate with Free PLs. So all of those integrations are definitely uh, our short term strategy. And then we'll be getting into like I mentioned, the cash flow—that's my my biggest interest—is, I mean, it started with how to regain profit in my business, and so beyond inventory, you know, getting all the inventory pieces buttoned up, especially with the integrations, moving on into profitability, moving on into cash flow, and being able to analyze uh, and do what I call cash flow modeling, which is not just. What is going to happen with my cash flow? But what could happen? Let's say payment terms change. Well, or if I change my payment terms, you know, to 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 ninety, you know, net ninety instead of net thirty. Then let's see what could happen to my cash flow and my profit. And then maybe use that example to help to show your supplier that doing this will help you to increase your your order size and more product, and see how it's beneficial for both parties. And so I feel like that's where business has to head is really getting people into understanding the dynamic economics and the velocity of money uh, that is built into this business that I think is not part of the conversation yet.
0: Well, I, I couldn't agree with you more. First of all, that, that idea of being able to manage first people need to understand what a cash flow statement is, right? Too often mm-hmm. I'm like, well, I got my PL. It said I made money. It's like, yeah, but do you have any cash? They're like, no, no, mm-hmm. no, no cash. So it's like, <laughs> You know a PNL is a is a great tailing indicator to go. Here's what's happened in the past, but cash flow in the future is the only thing that matters. Do you have the incoming cash to cover all of these commitments that you're making, particularly large purchase orders? So uh, I'm really glad to see that. And and of course, obviously, uh, getting into other platforms and so forth, I, I think expands uh, the you know capabilities for you know your your audience and your your sellers. Uh, Any other words of wisdom you want to leave the uh, awesomers out there with?
1: Um, I, I think that just like now is the age to start really digging into the supply chain, really digging into logistics. We've all kind of been forced into it, but starting to think on we've been a very marketing based community and there's a lot of marketing courses. There's a lot of data on marketing. And if it's not gonna be you, it needs to be someone on your team, needs to start pivoting into really understanding the operations side of your business because the money that you're producing on the marketing side is leaking out in the sieve that is your operations side of things. And people have a hard time grasping Um, the losses. We just added a feature where we show what did you lose last year in stockouts alone? Uh, We ran one and one business lost $130,000. And one of them was $33,000 in 11 days of stockout on one product. And so people, uh, sellers should start thinking with not just putting time and attention on marketing, which is where they kind of Feel like that's the the most important thing, but putting some time and attention on this side of the business, so that everything that you're making isn't you know being lost on the other side.
0: It's it really is very smart. Uh, you know, I can't tell you uh, you know, how many times I've encountered great businesses. Um, I, I was uh, a chairman of a company, and when I first went in, we started doing kind of all this operational, you know, uh, nail downs. Right, really. Because when you have a fast-growing organization, there's a lot of slop in the gears. That's what we call it, right? You're, you're shifting faster and faster. And there's just some slop in the gears as you go. That's normal. That's okay. I'm not criticizing. But at some point, you got to come back and tighten things up. And yeah. you know, in, in this particular business, I think they were trading at you know eight or nine million pounds annually at that time. And we went in and we just started looking at all those little sieves that you talked about, all these little things. And they were, it was around 50,000 pounds a month that we yeah. could have an impact, right? So 600,000 pounds a year. So yeah. it was not quite 10%. Maybe is uh, you know, five to 6% of their business that we found just little leaks that they weren't really managing. And yeah. we always have the saying, what gets measured gets managed, right? And this is a great way uh, for people to get kind of a handle on, on uh, their inventory. So uh, mm-hmm. everybody, as you guys know, uh, you know, I'm very selective in, in how we bring on guests. We don't, we don't do uh, marketing deals or things like that. But uh, Chelsea's company So stocked is an empowery uh, aligned supplier and somebody you know that we trust and, and uh, certainly would recommend. If you don't have an inventory solution, you know get your head on straight and let's get going because it's going to get harder, faster. Uh, the, the tide's going out, and that is such a great opportunity for good, solid operators. This is when operators uh, add their value and where we get paid. Uh, what's some uh, final words of wisdom,
1: Chelsea? Mm-hmm. Uh, final words of wisdom. I would say we kind of touched on it before. Learning how to turn liabilities into assets by really understanding how uh, how your inventory works and how to marry the inventory and the marketing teams. I think that's probably the biggest uh, the biggest hurdle that people have to overcome is how do we marry those two teams together? Because it is a fully functioning machine. And the, the the third part of that kind of wheel of that circle is cash flow. So your marketing, inventory, and your cash flow all need to be working together. And if if they're not, at one point, some part of that, that triangle is going to trip up the others.
0: Inextricably linked, everybody. They are absolutely linked. And the faster you kind of get your head around it, the better off you'll be. Uh, wise words, Chelsea. Uh, I definitely appreciate uh, that wisdom for somebody so young. I can't believe uh, how uh, far you've come. Uh, low these many years, Chelsea is now a veteran. Everybody, uh, if you started in twenty fourteen, you're coming up. You know, eight years uh, plus or minus that you've been doing this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that <laughs> that makes you one of the dinosaur gang. So welcome aboard. Um, I I will tell you, everybody out there listening, uh, definitely take a, a, you know, take a minute, go check out So Stocked and, you know, find out what your life would be if you actually had to handle inventory. It's a better life. Uh, And for all those entrepreneurs who run around harried and panicked about the next day or the next hour, right? This is a terrible way to live, by the way. The way you get from chaos to order is you get your your numbers and and inventory is our largest number to to get a handle on. So thanks again, Chelsea. I definitely appreciate it. And Awesomers, you guys could go to awesomers.com slash 255 uh, to find any links or any little details that we may add in. Maybe we'll throw in a surprise screenshot. You never know. The only way you'll know is you got to go to the website. Uh, So that's what you're going to go do. Awesomers.com slash 255. That's uh, episode 255, everybody. It's in the can now, and we'll see you guys later. Bye, everybody.